Good morning. It's so good to see all of your lovely faces. Um, my name is Brent. If you don't know, I'm one of the pastors here at MRCC. It's cutting out again. Time, though. Here we go. I was ready. First service, I wasn't ready. This time, I was like, I knew what was going on. My name is Brent, one of the pastors, and I've got just a couple of announcements for us uh, on this beautiful... Is it fall officially yet? I don't know. When it's... No, no. Everyone sounds so disappointed. I, my winter coat's coming in. Like, I'm ready. I'm ready to put on that sweater of righteousness. It's going to be good stuff. Good stuff. But I'm really excited. And uh, here to help me with one of our announcements is Clark Newton. He's going to join me up here, and he's going to tell us a little bit more about uh, this men's conference coming up in October. Good morning. Thank you. Yes, uh, my name is Clark Newton. And you're probably wondering why I'm the one giving the announcement for the Dads That Make a Difference conference on October 1st. Um, well, the reason I'm here is because I'm the leader of the men's ministry team at MRCC. And I'm thinking there's a lot of you that didn't know there was a men's ministry team at MRCC. And it is relatively new. Some We put it together earlier this year. Uh, our goal is to build up the ministry to men at MRCC. Uh, our vision is building godly men through fellowship, mentorship, and discipleship. And uh, we're using a blueprint, a book called No Man Left Behind, How to Build and Sustain a Thriving Disciple-Making Ministry for Every Man in Your Church. So that building up of godly men isn't what the men's ministry team is going to do. Our dream is to have the men in MRCC doing that for each other through connecting and encouragement. And that brings me back to the men's seminar, where it's going to be a great opportunity for men to get together. Yes, we're going to learn some stuff about being dads. We all need that with the challenges that we all encounter with the being a dad, of course. Some tools, we'll get some good tools. But it's that connecting, that fellowship, that encouragement that's going to happen too. So it's going to be October 1st. 7 a.m., early start. All you retired guys, get out of bed. We need to hit, need you there. We're going to have breakfast from 7 to 8. We've got some pastors and men in the church going to cook us breakfast. So get out of bed, get there, and come have some encouragement. Hope to see you there. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Clark. It's going to be an awesome time. Uh, breakfast is always good. Breakfast is the best meal of the day, any time of day. You can ask you can ask me that anytime. I love breakfast. Uh, a couple other announcements. If Maybe if you're not a guy, you want to still get plugged in and connected. We have a bunch of ways to do that. Uh, our small groups are starting as well as a bunch of other ministries. Our small groups out in the foyer, there's a table with a sign-up sheet. You can get signed up there to get plugged in and connected if you want to. Um, get connected to a small group, start building some relationship with some people, or you can scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you, and that'll get you to a place on our website where you can get plugged in as well. We also have our Royal Rangers. They have a table out there. It's just tables for days out there. It looks like an expo center. It's awesome. Uh, I love it. The Royal Rangers have their table out there. Definitely the most colorful and uh, attractive of the tables. They really... They're peacocking out there. Um, but the Royal Rangers is awesome stuff. If you have uh, some boys that you know, grandchildren, kids that you want to get signed up for that, Royal Rangers is starting today at 2 p.m. Uh, and then Encounter, which is our Young Adults Next Gen ministry, that's going to be starting tonight at 6 p.m. Pastor Darius is stoked about that. Um, it's going to be awesome. And then we also have a missions team lunch today after third service. So if you're interested in missions, if that's something God has put on your heart, uh, the missions team is meeting for lunch. It's an open invite, so uh, wander down there to room 105 after third service. It's a kids' church room. 
and see what they've got going on there. And then last but not least, we have a senior picnic coming up. If you're a senior, congratulations, you've made it. Um, I imagine that there's really nothing else left for you to accomplish except for to enjoy life and to do fun things like the senior picnic. It starts on September 17th. You're going to be meeting here at MRCC. What, did I, say, did I say something? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. That went over so much better in first service, which is probably more seniors, so I don't know how that works. I'm very sorry. Uh, but that's going to be happening on September 17th. I think uh, the last day to get signed up for that is September 14th. You can call uh, the church office for more info or to get signed up for that as well, seniors. So um, last but not least, especially last but not least, uh, I thought this would go differently. I thought that we'd have like the doors open, confetti cannons, and he'd come riding in on the motorcycle up on the stage, take off his leather jacket and the sunglasses, and then just boom, word of God. But no matter which way he enters, we are thrilled to have him back, Pastor Grant. <laughs> Brent, you're fired. <laughs> good morning. It is uh, really, really good to see you. Um, I missed you terribly, and um, I didn't know how deep that was going to go until I got out there, Dean Smith. I missed even you. Uh, <laughs> all this. And somebody said to me the other day, Pastor Greg, I read that Jesus came back from the desert in the power of the Spirit, but you came back with a mustache. What's that all about? <laughs> and I uh, said, well, my wife said I wouldn't dare, so you know how that goes. Uh, probably won't be around very long if she has anything to say about it. But it is it's really good to see you. You are um, you're my family, and we are the family of God. And, uh, you know, I, I thought, well, I'm going to miss people. I had no idea how deep it would go. So thank you for being here. Thank you for um, making this place feel like it feels. It's really good to be back. I, I'm going to jump into a bunch of stuff related to the, the message and, the, and, and my time away. If you're here for the first time, maybe, or you don't know what this is all about, I'm, I'm actually the pastor here. I've been gone for two months, and uh, I, I went on my first ever in my life sabbatical. Um, and I'm not sure it's something I'd do again. Uh, it was interesting, weird and wonderful, but I'm going to get back to that. But first, um, I'm going to ask you to do something with me, uh, church. You know, today is uh, a significant day in, in the life of our country. Today, we remember 911. And um, there are, are many who still grieve um, deeply. And, you know, we're in a time when everybody either wants to complain about the government or hate the government or, or bemoan the state of the country. But listen, God calls us to pray for our country. That's the single most significant, important, and powerful thing that we can do. And, and so I want to ask you as my brothers and sisters, the family of God, would you one more time please just stand and let's pray together today uh, on, on this Memorial Day. Father, we come to you this morning, and many of us remember what that day felt like, God, and the, the grief and the hurt and, and the anger and the, the confusion, Lord, of that time. And, and you saw us through it, God. There were many who wondered and feared what was next, but you and your faithfulness and your grace have seen us through that season. This morning, God, we remember so many who grieve. 
God, we remember men and women who've grown up without parents because of what happened that day, and without friends, without children. God, we we remember their grief this morning, and, and we thank you for the heroism of so many, God. I, I read that article again this week about a, a bunch of people who got together on one of those planes and made sure it didn't hit a building. And God, we're so thankful for the gifts you give us, the bravery of people. And, and Lord, we ask that you would bring a deep healing to our land because in some ways our, our spirit now is just as broken as those buildings were. We pray that you would bring healing. We ask that you would bring confession and repentance and peace and an end to strife in our land. God, uh, the loss of buildings is terrible, Lord, but the enemy attacks the spirit. And we pray that you would bring healing and renewal to our land and that you would make us the people who, who pray that into reality. Thank you, God, for hearing our confession. Thank you for wiping our tears. We lift up those who grieve today and we pray for our land and we do it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated, please. I, uh, before anything else this morning, I just want to thank you as a church, as a board, as a staff team for uh, giving me, for giving us the opportunity to, to go on a sabbatical. It was not something I'd ever, I thought I'd ever do uh, in my life, and, um, and you graciously gave me the, the privilege of doing that, and, and I, I thank you for that. I thank you for the, you know, the, the, I've only been back a few days, and, and I've got to tell you, about 15 people have already unsolicited said to me, Pastor Greg, you want, I want you to know what a great job that the staff team did while you were gone. Can we appreciate them this morning, you know, everything that they did? Yeah, yeah. It was really just a big relief for them. I was gone, and they were able to get things done, but... Um, but thank you to all of you who have been so faithful to serve and to give and to, to participate and to, to be patient and to wait and to encourage and support. So uh, my heart's full. I, I can't thank us uh, enough for giving me that opportunity. I'm not sure I'm ever going to do it again, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, thank, thank you for that. And I have to tell you, people say, well, what, what was it like? And, and it was weird and it was wonderful. And, and it was lonely. You know, God said after he created man, he said it's not good for them to be alone. <laughs> it's not good to be alone. And that, that came home to me. You know, I'm kind of an introvert by nature. I'm a solitary person. I thought, well, that won't be a problem for me. Well, I learned something. Um, God was in it, but not in ways that I anticipated or expected. And I'm going to share a little bit of, about that with you in a moment. Uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, I had breakfast with the leader of our Northwest Network of the Assemblies of God, kind of the pastor of all the pastors, uh, Dr. Don Ross. He's been here at our church before. You've heard him. And uh, I had, had breakfast with him a couple of weeks ago. He, he has done this three times in his ministry life. And uh, he shared with me something that really stuck with me and that I'm, I'm, I'm holding on to. He said, Greg, you won't realize what happened inside of you until a couple of months after you're back. 
He said, stuff happened that you're aware of. He said, but much more happened that you're not aware of. And he said, over the next couple of months, you're going to discover that and feel that. I said, okay, all right, I received that uh, from my leader. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But there are some things I want to share with you, with us, about uh, my time away this morning. I want to begin by asking you a question, as I often do. Have you ever made any promises to God? I mean, come on. If I asked for a show of hands, every hand in the room would be up. Uh, It's our nature to make promises. When we're in relationship, that's what we do. Have you ever made any promises to God? And, 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 And let me maybe take that a step further. Have you ever made any big promises to God? You know, if, if it was just you and me sitting at your kitchen table on a long, slow evening and we were getting serious and real and talking about things, I'm betting that you would talk about some of the big promises that you've made to God. All of us have made promises. Maybe we, we promised God that we were going to learn to guard our tongue finally. We're going to govern our language, be careful about what we say. Or maybe maybe you promised that you would speak up when you should, not give in to the fear and the, and the worry and the anxiety. Maybe you promised that you were going to spend more time with your kids because you know that's his heart for you. That's what he wants you to do. Or, or, or maybe you promised that you were going to stop worrying about everything, work and, and the house and the mortgage, and you were going to trust him like he invites you to do. Have you ever made any promises to God? I came across a list this week of some uh, wedding vows that people have made, promises in moments before God, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you. The covenant of marriage is going through an evolution, I think, after I read through some of these uh, vows that people wrote. One man said, I promise to love you through your bad hair days, your burnt coffee, you make terrible coffee, your lost keys, your muddy shoes, all your annoying friends, your lost receipts, uh, all the broken appliances you don't tell me about. Give me all of that and I'll give you my love for the rest of our life. (laughs) Not sure about that one. This This one's very 21st century. I vow not to carry on watching a Netflix series we started watching together without you. Or at least to pretend it's the first time I've watched it when we watch it together again. (laughs) That was good. I promise to love you through even the building of Ikea furniture during the assembly, the buying, and the procurement thereof. I promise to unclog the tub even though we both know you're the only one of us with long hair and it can only be you that caused it. Okay. I promise to open jars for you and then to pretend that you loosened the lid, even though we both know it was my manly muscles that opened that thing. This ring is a symbol of how you've got me wrapped around your finger. Oh, that's kind of cute. I vow, one more, I vow to stand by your side when the zombie apocalypse comes. And should you be turned into a zombie, I promise to let you bite me. So I, too, can be a zombie, and therefore we can be together forever. I fear for the institution of marriage going forward, but, um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, seriously. Most of our lives is made up of the making and keeping of promises. Your life, mine, whether it's in a family or a workplace or a friendship, most of our life is the making 
and the keeping of promises. We, we make promises all the time. We do it in little things, diets and budgets and homework and housework. And, and we do it in big things, in marriages, in parenting, in friendships, and in our love for God. I asked a moment ago, have you ever made any promises to God? All of us who take him seriously have done that. And let me ask this. You know, when we keep our promises it's great, we feel great, we're on top of the world, but none of us always keeps them. How do you live with your broken promises? You know, again, if we were sitting at your table having a heart-to-heart, you might share that you've made some promises that you haven't kept. Maybe promises in a marriage maybe promises in a workplace or friendship, maybe promises to God that you haven't kept. How do you live with those? You know, I think it's something to think about how to live with the disappointment of broken promises today in particular because tomorrow a Seahawks season that's going to be filled with disappointments begins, you know. <laughs> I thought to myself, what's the motto for this year? And I went back to the Princess Bride, get used to disappointment. I thought that's our motto this year is, is to get used to disappointment. But most of us spend much of the life of our souls fretting over and trying to make up for broken promises. And Jesus taught about the making of promises. It's not, it's not something we often hear preached about, but he took time in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that, that center of his curriculum, if you will, that he taught again and again wherever he went. He taught about the making of promises. And, and listen to what our Lord says to us. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 and following. Jesus says this. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, don't break your oath, your promise, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for the, it is the city of the great king. Jesus says, don't make promises lightly. And don't make them in the name of God because you don't even really know your ability to keep them. And, and listen to what, what he also says. He says, don't, don't make these promises. All you need to say is simply yes or no. And then to kind of drive it home, he uses some strong language. Our Lord says, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow, that's strong. In other words, the tendency that you have to make great promises comes from a bad place, comes from not the best part of you. Do you know why Jesus teaches this? Do you know why this matters to him? It's because he knows, catch this, friends, he knows that we usually make promises because we believe in ourselves. But God wants us to learn to make promises out of our faith in him. And those are two very different things. I want to share with you something God 
taught me while I was gone, and it wasn't what I expected, and it wasn't what I wanted, but it's incredibly important, and I'm incredibly thankful for him showing this to me, teaching me this, and, and I don't think there's any other way he could have. I, I think I had to experience what I experienced in order to learn it, and this morning he wants you to hear what he taught me. We'll be in a familiar place, a familiar story in your Bible. It's Matthew chapter 14. And, and, and let's watch and listen to Jesus in this moment. The scripture says, Matthew chapter 14, beginning with verse 22. Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. The Lord had been teaching. He had been uh, spent the day ministering to people. The disciples were with him. He had come to the end of the day. And Jesus sends the disciples on ahead to their next, the next place they're going to be on the other side of the lake. He sends them ahead in the boat. And the Bible says that after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there all alone. When Jesus teaches us about prayer, he says that the center of gravity in our prayer life, in your prayer life and mine, needs to be when we get alone. There's nothing wrong. In fact, there's something beautiful about praying with our wives or our husbands, praying with our kids, praying with our friends, praying together in church. All those things are good. But Jesus said, let the center of gravity in your prayer life, the real, the, the center, be when you get alone. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach him how to pray, he said this, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who sees what happens in secret. And then your father who will meet you in the secret, will reward you. In other words, get alone. And Jesus practiced that throughout his life. The Bible says he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He often got alone. He's doing that in this moment. That's what the sabbatical was for me. I knew God was calling me to a season of solitude. I thought that would be easy for me because I'm kind of an introvert and enjoy solitude. But I discovered that can be difficult sometimes. That can be hard. So Jesus is doing that. He's getting alone. And the scripture says when he was done, verse 24, the boat with his disciples in it, with his friends who he was going to meet to continue ministry, the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now over in Mark chapter 6 and John chapter 6 and the parallel accounts, they talk about it was a rough storm that night, nasty night. Waves were high, strong wind. It, it was a, a rough enough night on the sea that even seasoned fishermen were fearful. And Jesus sees the disciples on the boat, uh, on the lake, in this weather. And the scripture says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. You just never know what Jesus is going to do next. He goes out to them walking on the water in the storm. And in, in a proof that the internet was just as much of a problem then as it is now, the scripture says when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said it's a ghost. Too many paranormal reality shows going on in their hearts. Sometimes our worst enemy is our own superstitious fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, verse 27, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. I know there's a storm, I know you're seeing something you didn't expect. I know you're fearful, but it's me, I've got this under control, I'm in the middle of this storm, and I'm here for you and with you. You know, in this season of our country's life, God wants you to hear that. God wants you to hear that right now. 
You know, you read about recessions and wars and, and elections and your heart is filled with fear. Jesus steps into that moment and he says, hey, I'm in the middle of this with you. I've got power and control. Don't be afraid. I'm right here with you. I remember sharing this same thing back in 2007 when the housing meltdown was happening. And here we are. I remember sharing this back in 2000 when Y2K was going to shut down all the world's computers. I remember sharing. I can go back and back and back. God's faithful every time. The Holy Spirit says to you as his son or his daughter, remember this. When you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you. And God wants you to hear that this morning. Jesus wanted the disciples to hear that in this moment. God wants you to hear that this morning. Maybe you need to hear that this morning because your fear is rising. You know, when I was an EMT, when I, I was a first responder, they taught us that when you arrive at a trauma scene, you speak hope and life to people. You say, hey, how you doing? What's your name? This is, we got this under control. We're going to take care of you. We're going to get you out of here. And the reason is because the most dangerous thing is often not the trauma itself. It's the shock that people go into. A little trauma and a lot of shock can take a life, a lot of trauma and a little shock. It's amazing what people can survive. So Jesus speaks to them in this moment. He says, hey, guys, don't panic. And then the story takes a weird and wonderful turn. Peter speaks up. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. <laughs> I don't think that would have been the first thing out of my mouth. I'm, that would I don't think that would have occurred to me in that moment. But it occurs to Peter. And what a beautiful thing that must have been for Jesus. Peter, look at him. He believes in me enough to think that he can follow me even in this moment. And, and Jesus responds. He says, come. Imagine he got a big grin on his face. That's just me. But come, he said. And then... Peter, put yourself in his shoes. Imagine it's you got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. What a moment. Probably you've had a moment or two like that when you made a decision to follow the Lord in faith and you stepped out and it felt amazing. That's what's happening with Peter. And, and, and this moment is really, really uh, instructive for us as growing disciples because Peter avoids two pitfalls here. He, he, he doesn't assume that he should just jump out and walk on the water because after all, Jesus is doing it. Peter doesn't fall into that trap. You know, the Bible says that, that when we charge ahead without first seeking God's will and his word, that kind of recklessness isn't faith, it's assumption, it's, it's presumption. You know, when Jesus was in the desert, the, the devil tempted him to throw himself off the roof of the temple in the pursuit of a miracle. But Jesus refused and said, treating God like that is wrong. And Peter doesn't do that. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. We would do well to practice Peter's wisdom in this moment. Faith isn't first an impulsive leap in the dark. It's a measured response to God's word. So Peter doesn't assume. He doesn't presume either. When we only listen to part of what God is saying, we can presume that, that we should do all sorts of things that he never intended. Same thing happened in the desert when Jesus was tempted by the devil. The devil said, hey, you've come to save the world. Let me give you power over the government. That's the key. Jesus said, no, it's not. I don't need that. I'm not after that. 
It's through the cross that my kingdom will be built. That's how I'm going to save the world. Peter avoids both the assumption and the presumption. And, and in the moment, he does something so precious to a father's heart. He says, Jesus, I want to do what you're doing. Have you ever said that to him? When was the last time you said that to him? That's a childlike heart. It delights our Father. Ron and I have a picture uh, in one of our photo albums. It's just kind of special to me. I think it was a Saturday morning. Our son Isaiah was maybe three, maybe four years old. And, and he came into the bathroom where I was shaving. And, you know, being a, a three, four-year-old, and he sees Dad shaving, what does he want to do? I want to shave, you know. And so we pulled him up on the counter and gave him a, a razor with no blade, you know, and he put shaving cream on, and then he's watching me, and I'm shaving, and he's shaving, and Mom took a picture. What a beautiful moment. And my father heart, her mother heart, you know, was just touched by that moment. Something like that happens in God's heart when Peter says that. When you say, hey, Jesus, I want to do what you're doing. I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to step out with you. Peter does that in this moment. But let's not, let's not reduce him to a cartoon character. Let's not make him one-dimensional. This isn't children's church. We're grown-ups. And so let's understand that there were other things in Peter's heart in this moment. You know, Peter was a little bit of a showboat. Peter was a little cocky. Peter was a little uh, arrogant at times. As a matter of fact, on another occasion, we read about in Matthew chapter 26, Jesus says to the disciples, he says, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Kind of a solemn moment. What does Peter do? He pops up and says, even if all fall away on account of you, I won't. Yeah, that's part of Peter's heart. I always want to say, really, Pete? You're going to argue with Jesus? He just told you what's up, and you're going to tell him he's wrong, and you know better? You know, there's kind of three things you don't do in life. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't argue with Jesus, you know. <laughs> but Peter does. Ha! Even if all fall away on account of you, Lord, I won't. You ever said something like that? I asked about making promises and breaking promises. I've been in a moment like that before with God. Peter says that because he believes in himself more than he believes Jesus. Jesus just said something to him. Peter contradicts him. And why? Because he believes in himself. That's a temptation we all face. It's kind of an ugly moment because in the moment, because his belief in himself is too great, he also disses everybody else. Imagine you're one of the other 11. Peter goes, even if all these losers choke, I won't. Like, Pete, fellas, bro, come on. But he's not thinking about that. All he's thinking about is himself and his ambition. And that's really what's also part of this story, is that Peter believes in himself more than he believes in Jesus. Lots of us are tempted to live like that. And I have to confess to you that I did in my time away. Maybe you remember that I had a big plan when I left. If you didn't know about it, my plan was to get on my bicycle, ride out of Enumclaw, and I was going to ride all the way down the Pacific coast from Seattle to San Diego, camping along the way and seeking God. I didn't make it out of Washington. <laughs> I got out there and and I discovered that I'm not 25 anymore, or 35, or 45. 
camping in the tent, going up and down those hills. I got to tell you, it was a glorious start. The bike path from Buckley to, e to Ording is all downhill. <laughs> I started off that morning, I was taking pictures. I was praising God. I was having beautiful moments. And, and I got past there and started climbing some hills. Oh, this is okay. I knew there was going to be some of this. And there was a lot of that. <laughs> And then at the end of the day, I'm piling into a tent in my not young body anymore, <laughs> climbing up the next morning. And you know, after several days of that, I wimped out and called my wife to come rescue me. That wasn't a happy day. Because you know what the first thought that I had was? What am I going to tell everybody? They all blessed me. There was even somebody in the church that gave me uh, $200 worth of In-N-Out burger coupons for when you get down to Southern California. <laughs> now I got to give them back, right? <laughs> I thought, but you know, I was like, oh man, I choked. How could I fail at this? The, the church, the board, the staff, they gave me these two months off and I'm supposed to go do this thing and I'm failing, <laughs> And I got home, and I was just depressed. I mean, for a couple of days, I'm trying to heal up, but I'm also going, what am I going to, what, what? Uh, God, I failed you. Does that God ever speak just crystal clear to you? He said, what do you mean? It wasn't my idea. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted you to come aside for a season of solitude and be alone with me. You came up with the bike ride to San Diego. And that happened, just to kind of share with you, that happened after, I came back for those two days, and then I said, this is crazy, I'm going to do it, mind over matter. I got back on my bike and headed out again. I had to call my wife twice to come and rescue me. <laughs> and, then, and then our Lord showed me something I don't think I could have seen any other way. He said, Greg, the bike ride to San Diego was really about you. You like to do big things. You like to show you can do big things. You kind of enjoy climbing the mountain and then waving at everybody from the top of the mountain. See, the bike ride was really about you. And I was like, wow. God said, I just want some time alone with you. I want to spend some time, Father, Son, alone with you. More than 30 years, you've served me as a pastor. You've rounded third base. You're heading for home. I want to talk to you about that last stretch. I want to get you alone and talk about that. And you turned it into this big thing. I was like, wow. And I kind of received that for a couple of days. Then I called my wife one day at work. I said, I got it. I got a new, a better plan. I'm going to buy a motorcycle and ride it all the way across country by myself. Glory to God. She said, okay. <laughs> so I went and got a motorcycle and I headed out. Now, I, I've ridden most of my life year round, so it's not like it was anything new. And we went and found a bike with just 9,000 miles on it and perfect deal, one owner, blah, blah, blah. Got it. I headed out and <sighs> rode from here down to Oregon to see my dad who's passing away and visited the family and took care of a lot of things there, back across Oregon, all the way through Idaho, up to Montana, across Montana, down into Wyoming, eastern Wyoming, which, I don't know if you know this, but the, the root word of Wyoming in the Greek means close to hell. 
is what it means. <laughs> Wasteland, ugly, terrible place. But I'm coming down into the, it's 108 degrees out. I'm on the bike and I've been doing 300 miles a day. And I'm exhausted and I'm hurting and I'm old. <laughs> I got to a little McDonald's just north of Sheridan, Wyoming, and I pulled off. Probably a little bit of heat exhaustion going on and dead tired. I sat down in the McDonald's and I said, I can't do this. <laughs> and I called my wife again. <laughs> I said, can I come home? Yeah, you can come home. So I turned around and rode home, but I wasn't happy. I was crying. You know, when you're riding a big bike on the Montana freeway and trucks and other big bikes pass you and they've got big beards, they all give you the nod and you give them the nod back. I was glad I had a faceplate because I was crying. <laughs> I was thinking, God, I told a couple of people I was going to do this. When I left, Pastor Zach said, uh, former Pastor Zach used to be part of our team. He called me up and he says, hey, I heard you got a bike and you're headed out. Where are you going? I said, I'm going to New York City. He says, oh, well, whatever. <laughs> and God said again, I'm just thick. You know what I mean? He goes, Greg, this was your idea again. <laughs> you don't have to do this. He said, I just want you to sit down and be alone with me for a season. Now, and I share that story for this reason. You know, Peter gets out and he, he walks on the water. And then his faith fails. Then he begins to sink. You know, it's easy to think about your walk with Christ as if it's all about what you can and should do for him. What great things you should accomplish for him an attempt to accomplish for him. But really, our faith is about what he does for us. And until we learn that, we cannot know him the way we want to. He is before anything else a savior. Here at MRCC, we talk about the fact that God wants you to know him as savior, Lord, father, and friend. It all begins with knowing him as savior, you know, I, I headed back from, from that trip and I'm coming home and I'm exhausted and I'm depressed and I'm disappointed and I'm discouraged and uh, saying, what, God, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? You know, on Friday of this week, I posted on Facebook, Liz is out, Chuck's up, Billy's on deck, that is all. Some of you get it. The Queen, Elizabeth, Liz, right? Carol Schaffhauser, one of the ladies in our church, posted, Pastor Greg, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I said, says so many things. <laughs> but I was asking that same question of God on the way back. And God said, you know what? Greg, you can't fail me. I just want to be alone with you. This isn't about what you do in this season. This is about you listening to me. Now, friends, I'm, I'm not the first person or the only one to make promises to God that I found out. I couldn't live up to. You've done that a few times. And there's a couple of things about this, this story of Peter and Jesus that we want to notice. We're almost done this morning. We're getting to the rub. Mark, in chapter 6, verse 48, tells us that, that when Jesus came out on the water towards the boat of the disciples, he uses a phrase that first century Jews would have immediately recognized. 
but which we have a harder time recognizing in our cultural context. It says that Jesus was approaching them to pass by them. Now, we hear that and think, well, he was just walking on ahead. He was going to maybe get to the shore and wait for him. No, that phrase, pass by, is pregnant with meaning in an Old Testament context. When God revealed himself significantly to Israel, he did it by passing by. So, for example, when God revealed himself to Moses, he hid him in a cleft of the rock, and then the Bible says he passed by, revealing himself. When God confronted the prophet Elijah at the lowest moment of his, his you know, life as a prophet, the scripture says he took him up on the mountain and he passed by him. You see, that phrase means that God was seeking to reveal himself very specifically. When Jesus goes out on the lake, he's up to something. And what he's up to is revealing himself to the disciples. Now, be careful because the first thing we might be tempted to think is he just wanted to show his power. He just wanted to prove that he was master of the wind and the waves, that he could walk on water so they would know he was supernatural. But that, that would be a mistake. Because he came to pass by and reveal something more than that. And the something more is the next part of the story and the reason that Matthew tells us the story. The scripture says, verse 29, then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. So far, so good. He's got power. But then they already knew that. They'd already seen that. But when he, Peter, saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out and said, Lord, save me. God, I know I asked you to come out here, but now I'm thinking I should have thought twice. Now this is a bad moment. Now I'm sinking. It's a storm. We're in the middle of the lake. It's the middle of the night. And his fear overcame him, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And the Bible says, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Immediately. You think Jesus was surprised that Peter failed to keep his promise? You think Jesus, I don't. I don't. I think he knew good and well what was going to happen. And gently he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Don't you wish you could answer that question for yourself sometimes? Why do you doubt? Why do you sometimes lack the faith to tell the truth or to follow through or to confess your sins or to apologize or to be brave or to be pure or to trust God with your future or your finances or your sexuality or your fear? To us in all those moments, Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm with you in this and I'm going to lead you through it. I'm going to save you when you can't keep your promises. And I want you to know that more than I want you to know my power over wind and waves. Church, God is speaking to you right now because you've got some promises that you've broken. You've got some, some moments when you sought to step out for God and then you've struggled and you've failed and you've fallen short. The Bible says in that moment, God passes by and reveals himself to you as your savior before anything else. We're talking about eternity right now. And the Spirit of God is speaking to you right now. He wants you to know him as Savior. You need to know him as Savior. 
before and more than everything else. Does he want you to know him as Lord and teach you how to live? Yes. Does he want you to know him as Father so that your heart can be at rest? Yes. Does he want you to know him as friend so that you can discover that the God of all creation seeks your friendship for eternity? Yes, he does. All of that he wants and seeks for you and in you, but more than all of that, he wants you to know that in your broken promises, in your failures, in your falling short, he is for you. He immediately rushes to your side. He saves. This is crucial to know. That's what God taught me out there on the sabbatical. He taught me I don't have to ride all the way down the California coast in order to have his attention. He taught me I don't have to prove that I can ride all the way to New York City in order to have his attention, which is a good thing because between here and there is Wyoming and I don't ever want to be there again. <laughs> he is a savior. Some people don't feel a sense of failing God because they never really tried to serve or please him. But for those of us who do, is reserved the discovery that he is a savior, your savior. John Ortberg points out that the other disciples didn't even try to get out of the boat. He says, you've heard of couch potatoes. He calls them boat potatoes because they just sat and watched like a bunch of bumps on a pickle. <laughs> they stayed safe. They didn't get wet. They didn't scream like a little girl for help. They didn't publicly embarrass themselves by failing. And they also never felt the warm strength of Jesus' hands rescuing them. Peter did. And God wants you too. And he wants me too. Some people resent the fact that learning means getting wet, getting embarrassed, getting cold, and getting rescued. But when we discover who he is in the middle of that, that's what makes it all worth it. I have one more story I want to share with you then we're done this morning. But please hear this, church. God wants to meet you in your broken promises. He wants you to know him as Savior in your broken promises. You know, when I got back this week, there was a call waiting for me. It came from a man you don't know. He's not from around here. In fact, he's from the other side of the country. I've known him for more than 20 years as a friend, as a brother. He is an accomplished, successful, professional man. He has risked his life for others many times, and I mean that literally. And he's had moments of brave faith, but that's not why he was calling me. You see, last week, he also discovered that he's a very great failure. It all came crashing down on him. As it came out that he betrayed his marriage himself, his faith, his beliefs, that he'd betrayed God. And he was calling me to tell me, to ask me to pray for him. He's also calling to tell me about all the plans he had made to make things right. Because that's the kind of man he is. He makes promises, he leads, he organizes, and he laid out his plan to make things right. And as soon as he started, I knew what God wanted me to share with him. 
I said, my brother, you know, all that's great, but it won't have any power unless you first go to Jesus and let him save you in your sin. The power comes from letting him be your savior, not you climbing back in the boat, not you climbing back on top of the mountain, but you letting him save you, letting him be your savior. Then all the other stuff matters. Then all the other stuff is the next steps. But it begins with letting him be your savior. And it's not just true for him, it's true for you and me. So here's what God is saying. He wants to meet you in your broken promises. He wants to pass by you and reveal that he is a savior. In Israel's greatest broken promise, in Lamentations chapter 3, the prophet Jeremiah cries out and he says this. He says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed because his compassions never fail. They are new every morning and great is his faithfulness. God wants you to feel that. That's what he taught me. He said, Greg, you don't have to do all that to reach me. I want to meet you where you are in your struggles, in your brokenness, in your old age, in your inability to do what you used to do. I want to meet you in the middle of that. I want to meet you in the promises you couldn't keep. And that's what he wants to do with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? God, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you for what you reveal about the Father in that moment when you immediately reached out your hand and caught Peter. God, he'd bitten off more than he could chew and he didn't even know it, but he was discovering it. And then he discovered your heart, that you are a savior, that you are his savior. God, help us, each one of us, to hear that this morning. My brother, my sister, if you sit here with broken promises, God wants to meet you in them. He wants to save you through them. He wants to do that now. All you got to do is give them to him. All you got to do is take them to him. He's here for you. He wants to pass by and reveal himself to you. He's listening to your heart right now. You can go to him. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment. And as we go from here today, let this moment linger in our hearts. Let it be like a seed that planted grows up into a tree that gives shade to the rest of our lives. We pray for that. I pray for that. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? I apologize when you came in, the parking lot was insane because I talked too long. I just did it again. So, but hear, hear Jesus. He wants to meet you in your broken promise.